Recovering and recycling metals often involves lots of energy, chemicals and emissions. Is there a better way? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen. Rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. It's episode 67. Welcome back. And if you're new to the Circular Economy podcast, thanks for listening. In today's episode, we hear from Dr. Megan O'Connor, the founder and CEO of EnthCycle, a metal processing company that's developed technology to enable a clean, local and streamlined supply of critical materials for the clean energy transition. We hear how Dr. O'Connor begged her professors at Yale to let her attend the Green Electronics Summit, where she heard big tech brands and manufacturers talk about all the risks and pain points they were up against as they tried to respond to increasing demand for tech whilst reducing their footprints and improving sustainability. The quantities of materials we need are mind-blowing. For cobalt alone, Megan quotes figures of a 50% supply shortage by 2030. Basically, we've found and mined all the easy-to-access sources of many materials, so we're getting less of each metal or mineral from the same amount of base material. In the show notes, I've included a link to a report from the United Nations International Resource Panel, Decoupling 2, which highlighted these issues back in 2014. The report shows that for many minerals to get the same quantity of metal extraction as a century ago, we now have to process about three times as much material. And of course, that brings associated increase in fossil fuel energy use, land disruption, chemical release and impacts on groundwater and freshwater. Megan tells us how she came up with the idea for using electro-extraction, a technology developed by her co-founder, for a completely different application, and how she then pivoted the entire focus of her PhD to develop this. We hear about the different challenges in recovering metals from waste, and how the nth cycle technology solves these challenges in a more efficient and sustainable way than other recycling methods, such as hydro and pyrometallurgy. Megan talks us through the range of applications, from e-waste to mining, and how the N-Cycle technology is developed to be suitable for smaller scale applications. So let's meet Megan O'Connor, and I'll be back after the conversation to share what I learned. Dr. Megan O'Connor is the founder and CEO of EnthCycle, a company that's developed and deployed an electro-extraction technology to recover critical materials from battery waste. Megan built up years of experience working on sustainable technology in many of America's top research labs, where she helped develop the electro-extraction processes that she and her team are now commercialising at EnthCycle. Megan, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. 
Thank you, Catherine. I'm very excited to be here today. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to this. I was uh, blown away, to, to use the colloquial term, when I was reading about N-Cycle and, uh, and, and what you've been able to um, develop. And when we when we chatted before, um, you were telling me about um, the backstory to this and ha- and how you came to do this. So maybe you could share a bit of that with us and explain what Encycle does. Absolutely, I'm happy to. So Encycle's overall mission is to create a very sustainable, efficient supply of all critical minerals that are needed for the energy transition. And we've developed, as you mentioned before, a new technology called electro extraction, which is really an alternative or replacement to the very antiquated refining technologies that we use today called hydro and pyrometallurgy. And my co-founders and I originally developed this technology over 10 years ago. So my co-founder, Chad Vecinas, was a full-time professor at Harvard University And he actually developed this technology for a completely different application in wastewater treatment. I met him in 2014, saw him give a presentation on this. And around the same time is when I really started to become passionate about the circular economy and metals recycling. And, you know, my passion really um, expanded from there when I was able to attend this summit called the Green Electronics Summit when I was uh, up at Yale University. And a professor had invited you know, some of the folks from Apple, Dell, Intel, Samsung, at the, the major electronics manufacturers and semiconductor manufacturers you can think of around the world. Um, they, they were invited to Yale to talk about the major sustainability issues they saw coming over the next five to 10 years, you know, with their corporate hats on. And this was really to help Yale direct all the research. And, you know, it wasn't open to students. It wasn't even open to other faculty. But I, you know, knew I had to be in in this session to really hear, you know, what the real industrial problems were, because that's originally why I wanted to go to graduate school. And so I begged my way in. Um, It took me about three weeks to convince the professor that I should be in this meeting. So he finally let me in as a scribe to take notes. and, And it was amazing just being like a fly on the wall and listening to all of these you know, um, corporate folks talk about, you know, recycling, right? Recycling kept coming up over and over again. Waste management was an issue. They knew it was going to continue to be an issue as more folks get new phones every year and EVs come out and right. It's just a larger form of electronics waste, which a lot of people don't necessarily think of them in, in that way. And paired with that, you know, waste management issue, no current recycling technologies was the issue that we have with the critical mineral supply chain, right? Everybody um, saw the shortage of cobalt and nickel and rare earth metals coming down the pipeline. You know, by 2030, there's projected to be a 50% um, supply shortage for cobalt alone. And so they were thinking, how are we going to, you know, both recycle these materials in an efficient way while also creating a new supply of these materials enough so that we don't have to slow down in terms of our development for the clean energy economy. And so I walked out of that meeting and really thought, you know, I think I could try and at least develop a technology to solve this issue. You know, can we create a very economical way to pull these materials out in a form that can be simply put back into the supply chain to create that secondary source that, you know, was sort of the other pain point they discussed. And so that's what I decided to do for the rest of my PhD work. I, again, I had met my co-founder, Chad Vesitas, asked him if I could use the technology and spin it for metals recycling. And he agreed. And, you know, we spent the next three years developing it. And about the day after I graduated, we started Encycle. We actually sat down uh, at a bar in Boston and had a beer and, you know, decided to go for it. And we've been trying to develop and, and commercialize it ever since. Wow. What a story. And, um, you, you kind of pivoted your entire P- PhD, didn't you, towards that? You'd already been working on something else and decided that this was so important that, that you had to refocus? 
I did. Yes. In my third year, which <laughs> a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I, I really saw a need and, and thought we could really develop a great solution uh, because this would be, you know, a growing problem. And, you know, here we are today where, you know, a lot of the governments, both in Europe and in North America are really, really focused on this. So, yeah. So you started the business the day after the, the PhD finished. Um, so no time for rest and recovery. And now it's it's developing fast in in a few different ways isn't it maybe you could explain how it works what different types of customers because there are at least two distinct groups of customers and and what you actually provide for your customer base absolutely so at a high level you can think of the electro extraction system as an electrified water filter so a basic water filter you'd see like in a brita or if you have a pool at home or well water, um, you can think of it that like that. And we figured out a way to electrify it. And by electrifying it with different voltages, we can actually select and selectively recover these different materials based on that voltage that we apply. And so that's how we're able to collect and recover these cobalt, nickel, manganese um, materials from the batteries and other mine sources that we that we look at. Um, very efficiently because our only input is a very low amount of electricity versus the very high volumes of chemicals that the other technologies I mentioned earlier use. The types of customers that we work with, again, we work across the entire supply chain. So we look for these cobalt, nickel, manganese, all of these materials in any sort of feedstock, as we like to call them, that we can possibly find. So we focus a lot on battery recycling. A lot of folks like to call it urban mining because there's a very high content of cobalt and nickel in these devices. And so we work, our direct customers are actually the folks who are collecting these materials, shredding them down into what we call a black mass waste material. And so this is really just a mixture of the cathode and the anode materials that currently end up um, as waste products. And so we're turning that waste product into, again, these valuable materials that can go back into the supply chain. Mm. And you also work with um, mining companies as well, um, which sort of feels a bit uncircular, but with these uh, particular materials that you're talking about, um, often we don't have anywhere near enough of them already in the system to be able to recycle them. So although you're recycling at the one end, there's such a high demand, as I understand it, for these kind of products that um, there's, a, there's still a need to mine them. And you help that process become much more efficient and effective too, is that right? That's right. Uh, it, we don't have enough of these uh, materials specifically for the battery industry to uh, fully transition from fossil um, for this, you know, push to electrification that we're all after. And so once we're able to get these materials into the supply chain, we can eventually become fully circular. But for now, we really need to start mining more of these materials and right, all the current mining processes can be quite hazardous. So Uncycles technology can also fit within that space, again, making a much more sustainable, um, efficient way to pull these materials out. So creating much less waste, a much lower carbon footprint, but still providing the critical materials we need for this energy transition. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's so important, isn't it? As we're as we're finding out, there's a whole whole range of different sectors now, all chasing after the same critical materials for their um, for their technology enablers. So, thinking about the um, the recyclers that are using this, you know, is it is it complicated or um, you know difficult for them to integrate? and cycle technology in their process? How does it work for them? 
So for them, we wanted to make it as easy as possible to integrate our system right on the end. So a lot of folks in the space are very focused on one of the other pain points, which is collection of these materials. You can imagine that lithium ion batteries, right? We all saw the stories of these batteries that can spontaneously, you know, combust or start on fire. So you can imagine shipping them very far distances to get them to a recycling center is very hazardous. They're in trucks, right? In the US here, we can't even ship them um, via train anymore because so many explosions happened. And so it's just very hazardous to, to move these materials to one centralized facility um, and causes these uh, recyclers to, to really not have anywhere um, to put the materials once they are able to get them. So what we do and what we design the system to do is go on site. So be very modular, go on site, be easily integrated into these facilities that are collecting smaller volumes of batteries all across the country, and then process them into a much safer material and a much higher value. So they can then ship them to, you know, get back into the actual supply chain. Right. So that sounds like you, you've really looked at the different pain points for the whole process from a systems perspective and try to address as many of those as possible. And going back to something you said at, at the beginning about the alternatives, um, the hydro and um, kind of metallurgical, meta, metallurgy, <laughs> oh dear, I'm not going to get that right, um, but the, the other ways of recycling. You mentioned that those are very uh, energy and or chemical intensive. Um, and I guess that's something that many people don't know. We just we just hear about recycling and we kind of think that's bound to be a good thing. But when I've been looking at particularly how the circular economy can help with zero carbon ambitions, then you start to read more about recycling and some of the disbenefits. So are you able to unpack that a little bit for us? Yes, absolutely. You're right. The The current technologies that are used are for recycling are the same uh, technologies that are used for mining. So, you know, you, you hear all this, this negative uh, talk about all the waste that's produced within the mining process. And it's very similar in the battery space, in the, in the recycling space in general, I should say. There's a lot of um, harsh chemicals and acids that are used in hydrometallurgy. So that's a lot of the techniques that are used for things like the battery materials, um, whether they come out of the ground from mines or out of batteries from recycling, as well as uh, pyrometallurgy, which is very large furnaces you can think of. So very high temperatures, very high pressures, very high in terms of our energy intensity and use um, for those technologies. And so, you know, if we continue to use those, we're gonna end up ca causing more harm than good to the planet, but we need these materials, right? So that's again, where Encycle came in and thought, how can we efficiently pull these materials out without, you know, generating, you know, tons of waste or, you know, increasing our carbon footprint even more than we already are. Uh, and that's really where uh, electro extraction came in and can significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 75% compared to hydro and pyro metallurgy alone. Wow, that's a really big benefit, isn't it? Given, given how much of this we need to do. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I think we've 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 talked a bit about how the the business creates value for its customers. Um, is is there anything else that um, you know have have we missed anything in terms of great reasons for customers to use the end cycle technology? Yeah, I think in the in the recycling space um, as well as the mining space too. I think a, a, one of the other big pain points that Encycle tries to solve is that these feedstocks vary almost every day. 
you can think of all of the different scrap materials that a lot of these recyclers get. And even if they get a consumer electronic phone, which has a battery in it and an EV pack, which also has a battery in it, they're completely different in terms of the ratios of materials that are in there. And that's really difficult for existing technologies to handle that day-to-day variability, even batch to batch within a single day. So Encycle can take all of those different materials and actually process them into a very consistent product, which is very valuable in terms of being able to sell the material, but also in what these recyclers can actually recycle, you know, each and every year. And so that's a big, um, a big value that we bring to the market in general. And it's similar in mining, right? As you, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the, the mines are starting to degrade in terms of their value and in, in the grade of materials that you can pull out of there. And so Encycle can go in and, and be able to help with that variability that they see within the ore body itself. Mm. Um, and I guess, have- I guess for the mining, are you able to help them recover a wider range of materials than perhaps the primary material that they've chosen to source from that particular location. Absolutely. And that's, it's critically important for, for cobalt, especially, um, cobalt is considered with a, what they say, a daughter metal. So you can't just go out and find a cobalt ore. It is generally tied to copper. And a lot of the mines have a really difficult time extracting the cobalt away from the copper. And that's what Encycle can help with is when you get to those really, really low grades of copper, there's even lower grades of cobalt in there. And we, that's really where we shine is, is in those lower uh, grades of materials, especially that we have here um, within North America to try again, to try and pull those materials out separate them more efficiently and get them into the supply chain. Mm. So does that mean that you might be able to use the technology in existing mine tailings where it wasn't possible in the past to extract those materials? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is also a big focus for us is, is actually going after the waste that was produced from mines. And like you said, they weren't able to, to um, recover a lot of those materials with the earlier technology that they use. So now we can go in and extract, you know, it could be up to 30% of valuable material that's sitting in these waste ponds. And so that's a lot of value that we can extract. Wow. That's incredible. Incredible. I can imagine (laughs) you're in an awful lot of of demand as people start to hear about this because it's absolutely uh, has, you know, transformative potential, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So Megan, Looking back on the on the few years of of um, you know going from zero and um, and getting to where you are now, what have you struggled with and what surprised you in the process of building Encycle? As a first time founder, I think every day has been a new adventure and you know surprises left and right. But the, I think the biggest challenge that we had was really in the stage where you know we were not quite at the bench scale, not quite at the commercial scale, right in that sort of mid pilot scale, really getting the talent and the experience that we needed to to truly bring it to the commercial scale. And and we were really, really lucky to find um, our VP of operations. His name is Sean Montgomery. So finding him and and using his experience in scaling, you know, bench scale technologies to the actual commercial field, you know, was a game changer for us. And so really building out the team, I think was was a great experience and, and, you know, was something that really helped us move much faster in the market. And then I'll say fundraising too, right? I think you hear a lot of founders say fundraising is always <laughs> a challenge, but I think recently we've seen a lot of movement in the hardware space, right? I think software has always had a lot of funding, um, especially right you hear about Silicon Valley and um, the hardware is a little bit different in the clean tech space, but 
in recent years, I think a lot of folks have seen the value and the need for technologies like ours. And so there's been more and more, you know, VCs and other private funders come into the market to try and, uh, you know, fund these earlier stage technologies. And so that was a big challenge early on. And, you know, we were excited that we've overcome that and, and have reached a point where, you know, we have a great uh, couple of firms backing us. Mm. And it sounds as though with things like the, you know, the modular design, making it easier for people to put on their own sites without big disruption or reconfiguration, then not only is that a circular principle, you know, kind of making things modular so it's easy to um, install them, upgrade them, repair them and so on. Um, but of course, it makes it easier to to scale and uh, and introduce the technology to more and more customers without a big hassle. Absolutely. Yeah. And so thinking about other businesses looking at going circular or looking at starting something circular, are there any particular lessons learned or top tips that you'd share? I would say, uh, you know, find the right, you know, folks to surround yourself with, find the right, uh, whether it's, you know, funders or government agencies, right? There's a lot of people who are very interested in this topic now. And I think it's, there's a big push to, to create, you know, circularity within as many industries as possible, because it is so critical in our, you know, zero carbon goals over the next several years. Um, and so when you find these people, right, they will be your true champions and help you through a lot of the obstacles that young companies, if you're young or old um, or more established, I should say, you know, these folks will really help push you um, and get you through some of those tough times when you might, you know, um, stumble upon folks who don't believe that, you know, circular economy will be a thing of the future. Um, so I would say, you know, find your champions in the in the industry and, you know, you'll be able to find the you know, the customers and the people to adopt technology from there. Mm. Yeah. Um, Climate Kick had a, um, a phrase for that, the, the innovation ecosystem, you know, making sure that you put set that up around around your business, looking at who else is in, in the supply chain and, and who can um, can help you. Exactly. And and Megan, on a more personal note. Are there, is there one of your values that you think helps to move us towards a better, better world and um, that, you, that you'd like other people to consider? I, I say this, I think, on a daily basis to my employees, to my investors, to you know, anyone who I speak to. I think transparency is, is, is a very, very big deal, especially when you think about circular economy. We need to know you know, what's in the materials or we'll never be able to recycle them. We need to know, you know, what's being recycled or we'll never be able to put it back into the manufacturing supply chain. And I think that sort of trickles down even into our company values where, you know, if you can't be transparent with what you're doing and, and why you're doing it, you, you know, you know, you need to, to be more you know, open and honest um, and start to have that dialogue. And because I think transparency within the supply chain is going to be, you know, the way that we move forward. And mm. so I think that's one of the things I would leave behind is, you know, try to be more transparent, you know, in your personal life as well as within your business, because, you know, we need to know where these materials are, um, how we're going to get them out and how we're going to put them back in the supply chain to truly make it circular, right? We can't continue to to keep all of these things private um, or we'll, we'll never, you know, make the progress we need to, to become fully circular. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that applies on two fronts, doesn't it? Kind of, you know, sharing, sharing what you learn and bringing other companies along with you. Um, which is one of the things that Patagonia like to do and try and try and build critical mass behind the things that are difficult. And of course, mm -hmm. obviously be honest about what you're able to do that's good and, and, you know, maybe barriers that you've come up against. And we see so often reputation damage when companies are sweeping things under the carpet or 
greenwashing yeah. or whatever it's it's becoming uh, more and more of a thing isn't it with social media n- news travels ever faster mm-hmm. exactly so megan thinking about other circular economy examples that have inspired you um is there anything you'd like to share or if somebody you'd like to recommend as a future guest for the podcast Oh, there's so many. Um, I think, I mean, if we think about sort of big, at least in our, in our world, big corporations that are trying to do this, right? Apple, Dell, right? The big electronics manufacturers always come to the top, right? I think they're, they're truly leading the way. I know Tesla's doing this as well. You know, I think a lot of these companies are, are really pushing at least the entire industry forward in terms of, you know, transparency, circular economy, wanting and promising that they're going to recycle 100% of their materials by X date, right? I think they're all slightly different in terms of their goals, but, you know, they see the value in doing this. They see the value in not only vertically integrating, but truly finding the sustainable supply that they need. And, you know, that inspires us every day, right? They could be potential future customers of ours, but even if they're not, right, they're they're truly on a great mission to try and, and to try and vertically integrate and bring you know, not only sustainable materials, but also reuse a lot of the materials that they put into their phones, laptops, cars, um, EVs, you know, whatever they pr- produce. And so, you know, we really look up to them and, you know, and hope that they continue to have that leadership within the space because I think pe- everyone will start to follow suit. Mm. Yeah, I think I was pleasantly surprised when I was researching what Apple were doing for the second edition of the of the book. I knew I'd got a few links stored up but I was kind of expecting most of it to be very superficial but it was obvious that they had made a lot of progress. I guess where it would be great to see Apple leading is on creating modular you know the the repairability's got better but why not modular why not upgradable um, mm-hmm. rather than this you know forever planned obsolescence strategy. Um, exactly. It's not good and even though they sell uh, pre-used kit on on the apple website with a guarantee that's the same as the new one which is only a year (laughs) doesn't seem all that good the transparency there about um the difference between the pre-used model and it's um you know which processor or which which um i can't remember apple's term for it but the kind of um you know the the software release um which one that is versus the newest one is a lot less than transparent and um you know it would be good to kind of see here are, here are four options and you know the 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 current model might cost 80% of a new one but the but the one that's three or four models out of date um you know it's only 20% or something and re- really create a market for pre-used kit um that people know to be reliable and and um and useful Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Planned up, obsolescence is, is horrible, <laughs> um, especially, you know, in, in the, the track we've taken to say, like even a non-removable battery, it's very difficult for recyclers to handle that material. So I completely agree with everything you said. It was, we need to, to be very, much more transparent and, you know, sort of almost go backwards and making phones easier to disassemble, replace batteries, you know, do all these things that we used to be able to do, um, you know, before, you know, the, the newer generation of phones came out. Yeah, exactly. Because when you when you start to look at these things, um, it's either impossible to take apart because they've made the construction cheaper by gluing and bonding instead of using fixings. Or you might even think that they've made it deliberately impossible to get into to, to stop you being able to repair it. Um, and um, yeah, so for the for the cynics like me, it, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't look good. 
So, Megan, um, how can people find about more, find out more about you and Encycle and get in touch? Absolutely. Folks can, can find us on our website. It's www.encycle.com. Uh, our contact information is on there and we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about what we do or, or know somebody who needs recycling or sustainable mining, we'd love to hear from you um, to be able to help provide a, a new solution. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, again, uh, you know, going back to when I first looked at it was just going through the website and thinking, wow, this is absolutely transformational. So I'm sure it'll go from strength to strength and, you know, you'll be um, helping an awful lot of companies solve big headaches in in multiple areas because, as you mentioned, um, you're solving a lot of pain points and, uh, and you know, really, really making a, a difference. So thanks very much for sharing the story so far of EndCycle and good luck with the next phase and look forward to hearing more in due course. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Catherine. Great being here today. Wow, I was really impressed with Megan's single-minded focus, picking up all the pain points related to recovering critical materials from tech products. Firstly, the gap in effective recycling processes for the growing quantities of tech and the difficulty in converting the materials back into feedstocks, resources, that are suitable to go back into the tech supply chain. Logistics is a pain point for recyclers how to ensure safe and cost-effective collection of materials and organise flows of similar materials into each recycling location. The safety and security issues, especially for lithium, mean it's difficult and expensive for recyclers to consolidate the material streams to create a viable critical mass, especially if they also need expensive equipment for the recycling itself. So EnthCycle's low-cost equipment that doesn't need much space is an ideal solution. Megan described another pain point for recyclers, the variability in the makeup of recycling flows. Even if you're just processing cell phones, the materials in the different brands and ages of the phones will vary. That makes it difficult for the recyclers to set their systems up to deal with that variability. And it means the end product the recyclet won't be consistent. That can detract from its value and limit the potential markets. Megan tells us that the end cycle processors can handle that variability and produce a very consistent end product. So that's better quali quality recyclet and it improves the ease of sales and profitability for the recyclers. That could lower the barriers to entry, bringing more recyclers in more countries into the market and increase the amount of e-waste we can process globally. It might make urban mining more viable too, recovering waste tech from landfill to extract the valuable minerals. If you've seen one of my presentations, you might remember the quiz on gold mining extraction rates. It was fascinating to hear how Megan realised it should be possible to flip an existing technology, similar to the basic extraction system for home water filters. She then worked out how to add electrification to that process so that different voltages can be selected to allow recovery of a whole range of different materials. Cobalt, nickel, manganese and other key materials from batteries and other technology components. EnthCycle is using the same technology to improve the effectiveness of mining. 
while we want to design mining and extraction out of the circular economy, that's difficult when we have growing demand for specific materials that are already in short supply. We don't have enough already in the system to enable us to rely on recycled resources alone. So anything that helps the efficiency of mining is at least an improvement. Less ore is extracted, a wider range of materials can be accessed from each tonne of ore, and the entire process should be cleaner and less energy and carbon intensive. Megan explained the complexities for materials like cobalt, which she explained is a daughter metal, one that's tied to copper, and is generally very difficult to separate out from the copper. Again, N-Cycle makes this easier, especially when it comes to the lower grade materials. Changing the cost and yield factors might provide more choice when it comes to deciding where to mine. There's potential to prioritise the site with the lowest environmental impact, because you can now recover more value from those lower grade materials. I was impressed with the comparison figures that Megan shared for the N-Cycle electro-extraction system versus hydro or pyrometallurgy. The ability to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 75% could be a game changer on its own. And when you think about the relatively low tech, small space requirements and ease of deployment for the technology, it feels like a big leap forward. Back in the office, I've been working on my next book, wrestling with how best to structure it and finding lots of things I want to include from stuff I'm reading. I can highly recommend Less is More, How Degrowth Will Save the World by Jason Hickel, described by Kate Rayworth as a powerfully disruptive book for disrupted times. I'm also working on a four-week sprint course, though maybe I need a different name for that. Four weeks feels a bit long for a sprint. Anyway, I'll use parts of the book to help people in businesses who want to understand how the circular economy can help their business become more future fit and where to start. There'll be short courses and daily challenges. Before I launch it out to the wider world, I'm planning a free beta version, probably in January 2022, for a small group of SMEs, small and medium businesses. So if that sounds right for you, please get in touch on LinkedIn or email hello at rethinkglobal.info. So that's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thanks to our guest this week, Dr. Megan O'Connor, founder and chief executive officer of EnthCycle. And thank you for listening. You can find out more and follow Megan and EnthCycle on social media. I've included the links in the show notes as usual. Thanks also to Liz Skolnick at 360E for making this episode possible. You can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at thecirculareconomypodcast.com. If you're looking for episodes on a particular circular economy strategy or for a market sector or specific countries, check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at www.circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. Don't forget that you can help make the circular economy happen too with the choices you make at work and in your everyday life. Buying pre-used, keeping what you have for longer, 
repairing it and making sure it has another life. And you can help spread the word. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy the new edition of my award winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, competitive and sustainable business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities with lots of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at www.rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. If you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe, and we'll see you next time. <music>